Oh, welcome, welcome. I am so excited to be here with you today as we get to celebrate that Christ is risen. In fact, he is risen. I had a feeling that's how it was going to go. He is risen. Amen, amen. Today we're going to begin a brand new series. And our series is on what do you do when you come to the end of your rope? What do you do when you're dealing with things inside and you don't know what to do and how to actually deal with them? And so I want to begin by reading for you from Luke chapter 19. One verse, one verse as you stand. Jesus' words here, here's what he says. He says, for I, Jesus, the son of man, came to seek and to save the lost. We're going to stop right there and have a seat. And as you have a seat, I'm going uh, to set some things up for you in a moment. But before I do, I want us to begin by zeroing in on this one word at the end of Jesus' phrase. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The lost. It's an interesting word because it can be translated a handful of different ways. The way the word is in the Greek, actually, it's Jesus saying, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are in ruin. He came to save, seek and save those who are in current situation, present tense, right now, those who are perishing. It's interesting because he says that, and it's not like he's on a ship that's going down in the middle of the ocean. It's not like he's saying that when he's in a, in a house that's on fire and falling down around everyone. He, he says it almost in a, a, a situation with a very comfortable moment speaking with someone. It's interesting because that word lost, it, it's so much deeper than just saying I'm lost. It, it's describing the reality, I think Jesus is getting at, is that you and I in, in the entire world We can be walking around doing our everyday ordinary things and externally, we can look like we're doing okay. But how many of us internally maybe feel ruined? How many of us internally maybe feel that sense of I'm inside, it's not right, I feel like I'm perishing. How many of us internally would say, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. What if we were to translate it with that word done? The Son of Man, Jesus came to seek and save those who are done. You ever been there? I remember a time in my life when I was, honestly, I was done. A, a younger, as a younger man, it was a situation in my life where, uh, spare you all the details, but my family was basically falling apart. I actually wasn't sure where I was going to live during that season of my life. Some of the people closest to me were struggling with major addiction issues. On top of that, there were abuse issues. There there were uh, legal issues swirling around. I remember one night going to a friend of mine and just saying, I don't think I said the exact words, I'm dumb, but saying, I feel so hopeless as if nothing is ever going to change. In that moment, what I was really saying is, I'm done. You ever been there? You ever been there when you're frustrated with what's going on inside of you? Maybe maybe you've been in that moment where externally you look okay, but internally you know what you're wrestling with. Some people would say we, we all battle our internal demons. You know what those are. 
You know what the, maybe the habits of your life that you hate, that you keep pursuing are? You know what the scripture would call your sin is, that you go back to over and over again, and, and you get in these moments where you say, ah, oh, I'm, I'm done. And usually in those moments, we, we, we don't know how to deal with it. Sometimes we would actually describe it as depression. You know, depression, statistically, one in 10 adult Americans will experience depression this year. One in 10, that means, that means there's people in this room or tuning, on, tuning in online right now, that's exactly where you are, and maybe no one else knows except you right now where you are, and you're saying, I'm done. Depression is actually considered the leading cause of disability between those who are ages 15 and 44. You want to know why? Because, because it's really hard to get anything done when internally you're, you're done. And in fact, depression is linked as the reason why every 12 minutes someone else says, I'm done, and they take their own life. You see, we can come on an Easter Sunday and we can, you know, pull all the jacket off of the, the, the shelf and, and dress up and come and, and smile and, and be happy and all of that, but, but what's really going on inside of you? Are you maybe here today, and if you are honest, you're done. Yeah, I think as humans, we have this habit of when we are in this place where we're done, we're really good at ignoring it. I mean, how many of you have the, the check engine light on in your car and you, you haven't gone to get it taken care of yet? Or how, how often have you had a, a, a tooth that's just hurting a little bit and so you, you put off going to the dentist or, or you have a hard conversation that you know you need to have with someone, but you keep avoiding it. You know what we usually do when we're done is we ignore it as long as possible. But sooner or later, you got to face it. So the question I want to begin answering today and, and that we're going to build on over the next few weeks is, is what do you do to find hope when you're done? And to do that, I want to introduce you not just to Jesus, but, but I want to introduce you to someone that Jesus met during his ministry on earth. The story comes out of Luke chapter 19, and the man, his name is Zacchaeus. Some of you, you, you know the story, some of you, you know the song, and, and so you're familiar with this story, but if you've never heard of him before, I, I'm so glad you're here because we're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to look at someone, Zacchaeus, who I think, I think he was done. I have some reasons to believe that based on the text. And so why don't you open up with me to, to Luke chapter 19. And let's begin walking down this path together. And, and here is, here's where we start. When you are done, step one, when you are done, don't ignore reality. When you are done, don't, don't hide it. Don't bury your head in the sand. When you are done, don't ignore reality. Here's where we're going to begin. We're going to begin in, in Luke 19, starting in verse 1, and here's what we see. Zacchaeus, we're going to see that he is done, but, but when you were done, when you were done, Jesus is there. Let, let me show you what I mean. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says, He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. 
But on account of the crowd, he could not. Why? Because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, let's stop there for a moment. Here's what we have. We have this man named Zacchaeus, and, and we know a handful of things about him from the very beginning. The first thing we know is Zacchaeus was someone who was externally, he was successful. I mean, you, you realize what it describes him as? says he is a, a chief tax collector. Now, to be a tax collector, we're going to talk about that in a moment, but, but let's start with that word chief. That means he was a lead. He, he, was, he was a position of authority. He is someone who had, in our modern term, we would say he had climbed the corporate ladder. He, he, he might have had the corner office today and a high-rise building. He was someone who externally, he had his life pulled together, and he was doing well based on external factors. Not only was he a chief tax collector, but he was rich. Now, if I were to poll you today and say, how would you like to have a, a powerful position and be rich? I imagine most of you would say, you know what? I, that sounds pretty nice. At least the second part, right? Some of us, the first part, maybe not so much, but, but at least that second part, we say, okay, I would like to have some of those externals working for me, but here's the deal. Even though he was someone who has achieved some success, even though he was someone who had probably most of the creature comforts, he wasn't, he wasn't begging for his next meal. He wasn't living paycheck to paycheck. Even though those externals were working for him, there was something going on deeper. There, there was something going on internally. You know how I know? Look at verse 3. Verse 3 shows that he was, he was searching. Internally, he was searching. It says he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, I think this is kind of where a lot of us live. I look around this room, and at least those I know, you're doing okay. You're not wondering where your next meal's coming from. Many in this room, you've, you've achieved some level of external success. You have a job, maybe a good job. You have a home, may, maybe a nice home. You, you drive a nice vehicle, all of those things. But I think a lot of us, even though externally we're doing okay, I, I think internally there's something eating at us. There's something, there's an itch that we just can't quite get to. And this is exactly where he is. He wants to see who Jesus is. He is asking this question. Internally, I'm done. And so he's asking the question, maybe Jesus. Maybe some of these rumors I've heard about him. Maybe some of these stories I heard about him. Maybe he's actually the one I'm looking for. And so he goes and he joins the crowd as they line the street, and he goes and he wants to see Jesus. But what does he find when he gets there? He finds that the crowd is already there, and it's almost comical. You can almost picture Zacchaeus. He's short in stature. You can almost picture him, like, trying to look over someone's shoulder and, and maybe even, like, hopping a little bit, like, like jumping, like, where is Jesus? And he can't get to Jesus. So he's a bright guy. He runs ahead. And he does something kind of undignified for someone in a position like his. He, he climbs a tree and he says, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And when Jesus comes by, I'm going to be able to see him. You see, Zacchaeus, something's going on inside of him. Maybe he's done. And when he is done, Jesus is present. When he is done, Jesus is present. What does this mean for us? This means when you're done, don't ignore the reality of your need. 
See, this is where we really get to what's going on with Zacchaeus. What was Zacchaeus's need? What would drive someone who is rich and powerful? What would drive someone who has wealth and stature? What would drive someone who has the externals working so well? What would drive this person to want to get a glimpse of Jesus? Well, I think part of it's explained with his position. You see, he was a tax collector. A tax collector in that day was synonymous with a traitor. See, he was a Jewish man, an Israelite, and you know what? He was working for the Romans. He was working for the occupying force, and his job literally was to collect collect taxes for those who were oppressing the people of Israel. He was... He's probably the guy that walked by others at the side of the road, and as he walked by, the other Israelites would mumble under their breath, traitor. He, he, he carried that stigma, but he didn't just carry that stigma. I imagine somewhere along the line, he started carrying that guilt. See, in that day, a tax collector, they would get their bill, they would get the, what they needed to collect, and they would show up at your house, and maybe it said, let's say, okay, you owe the Roman government, you owe them $100, and so you would get this knock on your door, and you'd go and you open your door, and you say, oh, Zacchaeus, right? Like, you look down at him, and he would, he would hold up your, your note, and he would read it, and it says, it says here, you owe the Romans $150. And because he had the entire power of the Roman army behind him, to enforce and collect these taxes, you would have to pay that. You know what he would do with that extra $50, right? He'd casually slide it into his back pocket. See, this is why he was rich. He was an extortionist. He was a traitor. And as an Israelite, it would only be a matter of time before that guilt and that shame and that weight starts to pull him down. It starts to rot him from the inside out. He, I really believe, was beginning to realize that he was done, that he was lost that he was in ruin, and that he was perishing. And what, what does that mean for us? We have the same need. According to the scripture, there is not one of us who doesn't have that etern- internal rot. There, there is not one of us who is free from what the scripture calls sin. Our working definition just for today's sin is any time you step outside of God's desire for your life. He's made it really clear with his word what it is. In fact, at Valley, we just finished walking through the Ten Commandments and learning how they lead us in love, but realizing that there is not one commandment that, that, that all, any of us could say, oh yeah, perfectly done this. We've realized that we have this, this rebellion We've lied. We've lusted. We've hated and we've worshiped other things instead of the one true God. Because of that, you and I were in the same exact boat as Zacchaeus, the boat of those who are lost. And if we're honest, who are done. But when we get to that moment, it's really hard to admit that. Most of us, you know what we do when we're done? Instead of admitting it and and kind of opening up and saying, this is where I am, we numb it. 
We numb it with things like, hey, I'm going to go home every night from work and I'm going to turn on Netflix and I'm going to watch Netflix or I'm going to watch sports until it's time to go close my eyes and that way I don't have to think about what's going on inside at all. Others, it's video games, or others, it's, it's whatever kind of hobby. Some of us, we end up drinking that pain and that doneness away, or we, we enter into pursuing drugs or, or pornography or using people or whatever it might be. All of those things are keeping us from facing reality. All of those things are numbing us from the inside out. All of this uh, is making it so we don't we don't look at the reality of our need. What is it for you? How have you been numbing what's going on inside? How have you been working hard to not face the reality of the great need you have? See, Zacchaeus, he was willing to face that need. He faced it ultimately, or originally by climbing up that tree and seeking after Jesus. See, don't ignore the reality of your need, but in that, don't ignore the reality of Jesus' presence. In Zacchaeus' need, Jesus was present. In your need, in whatever you're going through, no matter how deep and dark it might be, I want you to see today that, that Jesus is present. Now, today is, is Resurrection Sunday. Today, we, we celebrate his resurrection. There's a few things that we know as fact, and, and I'm not going to work hard to convince you of these right now. Uh, I've done it before, and if, if you want, I'd be happy to sit down with you sometime and do it again. But here's what we know as fact. Jesus was a historical figure. The historians, there's, there's none that disagree with the fact that Jesus historically was a real man. He walked this earth. He, he, historic, historically, he was real. Not only that, his death is an event that is verified in history. There are secular historians, non-believers from that day, from his time period. There are writers that existed and lived when Jesus lived, and they wrote about Jesus who was crucified. That, you can't argue that. And here's what else we know. There are credible eyewitnesses to his resurrection. That at Jesus' resurrection, there are credible eyewitnesses that based on losing their lives held to the testimony that he was resurrected. The scripture actually says that there were at one point over 500 people that you could go to and you can ask, you could look at them in the eye in that first century, did you see the risen Christ? And they would say, absolutely, yes, and they would stake their life on it. You see, what that means is if those facts, if they really are true, which I would argue with you until I have no breath left, that they are in fact true, that means Jesus was not just present for Zacchaeus 2,000 years ago, that he is present for you right now in your need today. When you're done, when you're done, don't ignore reality. This means you don't ignore the reality of your need. You actually get to the spot where you say, okay, I got to deal with this, but you also don't ignore the reality that in your need, Jesus is present. But according to the story, he's not just present. Let's keep going. Not only is Jesus present, but, but when you are done, Jesus is calling. When you're done, Jesus is calling. Follow along, verse 5. It says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him 
joyfully. And when they saw it, this is the crowd, they grumbled. They all grumbled. Here's what they said. He, Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Who is a sinner. Isn't this amazing? Jesus is surrounded by a crowd. He's walking through town. Zacchaeus has ran, he's run ahead. He's climbed a tree. He's in the tree. And Jesus, as he's walking, who knows the how many people that are surrounding him. In that moment, Jesus stops and he looks up and he says, Hey, you. Hey, random person. Zacchaeus. Jesus knew his name. How? The text doesn't say. Maybe Jesus was aware of of Zacchaeus as the chief tax collector in that area. Maybe he simply knew because he's the divine son of God. And through his divine awareness and knowledge, he knew exactly who this person is. But I want you to see that Jesus, he doesn't just call him randomly. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. He called Zacchaeus by name. And Zacchaeus, he responds, how? He hurries down the tree and he receives Jesus with joy. I want you to see when Jesus is calling Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus doesn't start having his his knees buckle together. He doesn't start shaking. He doesn't timidly go up to Jesus and, oh, oh, okay, Jesus. He receives Jesus joyfully. He doesn't have to be afraid of Jesus, even though Zacchaeus is a sinner with great need, and even though Jesus is a holy man, a miracle worker, a great teacher, as we're going to see, as Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the point here is Jesus knew Zacchaeus by name and called him. Zacchaeus responds with joy, and then in that, the crowd, the crowd, they grumble. Listen to what they say. Jesus is hanging out with a sinner. In that day, they would mock Jesus. But the mocking hasn't stopped. It's only been reversed a little bit. They still mock Jesus, but now they don't mock Jesus because Jesus is hanging out with the likes of you. They mock you because you're hanging out with the likes of Jesus. Now, some of you guys, you're here today or you're tuning in online, and this is the first time you've been at church in in years. Uh, Some of you, maybe this is the first time you've been at church ever. And if your friends and your coworkers and your family, if they knew where you are today, what might they say? You you went to church? You, you, You hang out with those church people? But listen, that does not stop Jesus from calling Zacchaeus, and that does not stop Zacchaeus from responding with joy. What do I want you to see in this? Zacchaeus did not ignore Jesus' call. When you are done, Jesus is calling, and so that means you don't ignore Jesus' call. He, he, is, he is still calling people today, and he is calling us by name. You know how I know this? Because the scripture teaches that Jesus is the one that is behind all of creation. Jesus, he actually, he knows you. In fact, if you're here today and you're not convinced about Jesus, here's what I want to tell you. I think that Jesus has you here on purpose because he is calling you. He knows your need. 
He knows how deep the doneness is. He knows how much pain you have. He knows the guilt you carry. He knows the shame that you carry. And in all of that, he looks at you the same way he looked at Zacchaeus, not with judgment, not with hate, not with spite, but with love and the utmost care. And he calls. And he calls you by name. So when you're done, Jesus isn't just present. When you're done, Jesus isn't just present as some spiritual force that maybe is there for good or bad. When you are done, Jesus is calling you. He wants. And this, he wants you to know his care. He wants you to be near to him. He wants you to experience that. See, when you are done, Jesus is present and he's calling. But let's keep going. Because when you are done, here's what's amazing. When you are done, Jesus can change you. The story, it fast forwards a little bit. It's very likely that, that Jesus has, in this story, he has gone and he spent time with Zacchaeus. They likely have shared a meal. And so the story almost like hits the fast forward button on the remote. And it gets to this, this conversation between Zacchaeus and Jesus. He, here's what the text says next, verses 8 and 9. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, we think this is a fast forward because now Zacchaeus has gone from not in the tree, not climbing down the tree, but he's seated and he stands. And in this moment, Jesus is referring to his house, likely that Jesus has spent time with him now. The story has moved forward. And in this moment, you see what is one of the most marvelous pictures of transformation and change by interacting with Jesus. Zacchaeus, who is done, is now Zacchaeus, who has changed. There's really two aspects of this. Look at Jesus' words to start. Now, I want you to don't ignore, don't ignore the reality of salvation that is being offered. Listen to these words. Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. See, today, all of the internal ruin, all of that guilt, all of that shame, all all of the consequences that Zacchaeus deserved as a traitor, as an extortioner, as someone who was considered underhanded and on the outskirts of, of good people. In fact, there was a term used in the scripture. The term is used to describe the worst of the worst. The, the phrase is the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. This is the, the phrase used over and over again about the kind of people that Jesus would hang out with. The, this is the last person, the, the last kind of person in all of Israel that you would expect God's favor and God's salvation to be offered to. And yet it is. God's favor is given to Zacchaeus freely and generously here. You, you know what this means for you today? This means that even if you're sitting here and you, you know in your heart that it, it is dark, 
Even if you're sitting here today and you say, Mike, you have no idea how much evil I have done in my life. Mike, you have no idea how far I've run from God. Mike, you have no idea how vile and how mean and how bad of a person I've been. Mike, you have no idea how terrible I am. This means that you're in the same exact boat as Zacchaeus. And Jesus freely offers his grace. He abundantly offers his grace. This means you can't run far enough. This means you can't be bad enough to be outside of the reach of Jesus and his grace and his love that he extends to you. You're never too far away. Don't ignore the reality. This is the offer that is given today as we celebrate Easter. You're never too far away for Jesus to reach out and save you. You're never too far away for change to actually happen in your life. See, salvation is part of it, but but there's another part of what happens in this interchange between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Not only do you not ignore the reality of salvation, but, but don't ignore the reality of repentance. Repentance. The word repentance literally means to change your mind. It's the idea that I'm going a certain direction. I'm walking a path where I'm doing whatever I want and whatever makes sense in my mind and whatever pleases me and whatever is selfish. And when I come into contact with Jesus, I literally, my mind does a 180 degree switch. And instead of following all those things I used to follow, now I'm following the path right behind Jesus. This is ultimately what Zacchaeus does. Look at, look at his words here. He says, he says, today, half of my goods I give to the poor. This man has built a life extorting people so he could line his pockets and build his wealth and have all of the goods that he has The entirety of his life seems to be aimed at this one purpose of building whatever he wants for himself. And in this moment, as he interacts with Christ, he says, half of everything I have, I'm giving to the poor right now. And then he says this, he says, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything he has, I'm going to repay it fourfold. Now, as an Israelite, he knew that the actual biblical law for restitution would require him to pay 20% on top of what he stole. 20%, but he goes above and beyond it. What would lead someone who's built a life of possessions and wealth, what would lead someone in an instant, after one meal, what would lead them to give away half of it and then to restore even more than was required by law to everyone he's defrauded? What would do it? No, no, no. Who can change someone to be like that? But Jesus This is the repentance that Zacchaeus responds with. This is a dramatic, this is a radical, and this is a real repentance that comes from an actual encounter by experiencing the real person, Jesus. The care, the concern, the love, the friendship. He came face to face with the the Savior, And his only real response is a response of repentance. Listen very carefully. Sometimes in our world, we we do Christianity light. 
We take Christianity and we water it down to the point where we say Jesus loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. You say that I am saved because I go to church occasionally and I believe in Jesus. And because of that, we, we go on and we walk the path we've always been living and we equate salvation with simply, oh yeah, I, I, I'm connected with Jesus somehow. Jesus, salvation and repentance go hand in hand in his world. Salvation and repentance, they're, they're, they're together. It's not that you earn salvation by repentance, but your repentance demonstrates the salvation you have in Christ. Let me show you what I mean. If you were to back up a few chapters in Luke, to Luke 13, Jesus actually, he talks about repentance and he talks about it in what I consider one of the strangest kind of stories in the, in the New Testament scripture. It's kind of weird. And so for you Bible trivia folks, this might be helpful for you. Uh, but, but it's kind of a strange story. Luke 13, look at what happens here. Read along with me, verses one through five. I'll start at verse one. It says, there were some present at the, that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Okay, time out. Mike, this is getting weird. What, what, what are we talking about now? Let me, let me give you some context. Pilate was a Roman authority in that day, and part of his job as the Roman authority was to quell or to crush any rebellion. What this is referring to most likely is some Jewish people from Galilee who were building a rebellion who were building a, a movement to revolt against the Romans, Pilate probably found out about it. He sent his Roman troops to go and to, to crush this, and they did it as these Israelites were offering their sacrifice to Yahweh, the one true God. It's a picture of the animals being sacrificed, and in that moment, these rebellious men being slaughtered in their blood in what would be considered a horrific Injustice, their blood being mixed with the blood of the sacrifice. These, these people that are with Jesus, they, they tell Jesus about this, and Jesus responds, verse 2, and he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Jesus is making a point here, saying just because someone is experiencing a tragedy in life does not mean they're a worse sinner than someone else. It's really easy for us to go to that conclusion. Oh, you're suffering? You must be a sinner. No, no, no. That, that's not what this, Jesus says, that's not how it works. Occasionally, it can happen that way, but, but that's not necessarily the case. He goes on, verse 3, no. I tell you, no, that's not how it works. But unless you repent, unless you have your mind changed, Unless you stop going your selfish way and start following the way of righteousness in Christ, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Jesus doubles down on this, verse 4. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? He's taking another story. There was a tragedy. They're building a tower. The tower falls. It kills 18. Jesus says, do you think that they were worse sinners than everyone else in Jerusalem? Verse 5, no, I tell you. But unless you repent you will likewise perish. Repent. He, Jesus calls us to repent. He calls us to turn. 
But you know the other interesting word there is that word perish. That word perish is actually the same exact word we've already encountered today. The same exact word from chapter 19, verse 10, where it says, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are perishing. Those who are lost. For our purposes today, those who are done. You see, I don't want you to ignore the reality of repentance I don't want you to ignore the reality that when you look upon Christ, Christ calls you to follow him, that salvation is found in him, and then what you end up doing is when he freely gives you salvation, you freely begin to turn away from your sin and pursue a completely different kind of life following Christ. This is exactly what you see in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus goes from being done to being changed through his encounter with Jesus, the same is true for you. When you are done, if you're here today, if you're watching, and you say, "I internally, Mike, you don't even want to know what's going on inside of me. When you are done, Jesus is present. When you are done, Jesus is calling. When you are done, Jesus can change even you. Which leads us to the ultimate purpose. When you are done, Jesus can save This is Jesus' conclusion. At the very end of his words with Zacchaeus, verse 10, Jesus says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were in ruin, those who are perishing, those who are done. This is Jesus' purpose. This is Jesus' call to you. This is Jesus' intent with every one of us. He says, I know what's going on inside. I know who you really are. I know how deep and dark it goes inside of you. And yet I have come for you. With my love and with my grace. If we're going to continue with this theme of ignoring, this means you cannot ignore. Do not ignore the reality of who Jesus is. You know what he says about himself here? He says, the son of man. This is Jesus' favorite term for himself. This is a a term that, that places Jesus in a very particular place where he is actually declaring himself to be the Messiah, He says, I am the Savior. This is who I am. I am separate from everyone else. I have a position of authority and a position of purpose. He says, I, as the Son of Man, I've come to seek and I've come to save. Now, now here's the real question. How does he do this? How does he seek and save? Is it just a a magic wand that he he waved over Zacchaeus in that moment? What about for you? Do you you find that he seeks and saves you because you said, oh, I go to church. Uh, I'm a good person. I I do better than my neighbor. How, How does Jesus actually accomplish his task of finding and saving those who are done? That's exactly what we celebrate today. A couple days ago, we were gathered in this room for what we call a Good Friday service. On that night, we had one purpose. That one purpose was, it was to remember the price that was paid for you. 
On that night, we remember that Jesus, the way he saves us is by coming to earth. He came, he left the glories of heaven, he came in the flesh in weakness. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Never once did he rebel against his heavenly father. Never once did he sin. Never once, never once. And then he willingly, willingly, traded his perfect, sinless life for your perishing life. He took all of that guilt and all of that shame from all of your sin, and he carried it upon himself, and he took it to the cross on purpose, intentionally, and he paid the price for all of it, paid in full, so that God's wrath is satisfied so that you're not guilty anymore. He was buried. And on the third day, by the power of God, he was resurrected. He was alive. He's alive. He's indeed alive. And because of that, the scripture says, everyone and anyone who trusts in that truth, they're forgiven they're restored, they're redeemed, they're made new, they are saved. Don't ignore the reality of who Jesus is. Prepare that with one final reality. Don't ignore the reality of who you are. The worst thing you can do is to ignore that reality oh yeah, Jesus, he's pretty cool. That's a great story, Mike. Tell it again, right? Cool story, bro. Tell it again. But I I don't really need that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Don't band-aid over your need with a smile. Don't band-aid over your need with a good life, with a, a good job, with a happy family. Look at your need and look at the Savior. Years ago, Years ago, when I was first starting in ministry, I was a youth pastor. I remember the very first youth retreat that I led. I was so excited. I was so nervous. I took a group of, I think it was a middle school retreat, 35, 40 middle schoolers. We took them to a camp and, and you know, it, great experience, but I was nervous. You know, it was like first time ever doing this thing. And, and we show up at camp and it's dark out by the time we get there. And so we unload all of our gear and we assign all the kids to their different cabins. And then there's just kind of like this free time. And so for middle schoolers, it means it's like chaos time. They're all running around doing this and that, doing this and that. Honestly, a lot of fun. And, uh, and so we're just kind of hanging out. And I see this one teenage boy, a sixth grade boy, and he's got a stick, uh, like a, a branch sticking out of his back pocket. And, you know, one of my spiritual gifts is picking on people. And so I was going to go and I was going to pick on him. And so I was just going to grab that stick out of his back pocket and be like, oh, I got it. What are you going to do? You know, just kind of a playful thing. And, and so I go and I, I went to grab it. And the moment I grab it, he realized what I was doing. But, but he had some information I did not have. See, see, he thought we were going to camp, as in we're going to go camping, as in we're going to be in the wilderness, as in I need to bring my hunting knife. And so instead of having a branch in his back pocket, he had a, a hunting knife with an eight-inch blade in a scabbard, not locked into it at all. And so the moment I went to pull the stick out of his pocket, it was the moment he tried to prevent getting caught having a knife, so he put his hand back there. Perfect timing. I pulled the knife out, it went right across his finger, cut it all the way to the bone. We had a really meaningful moment there. 
I remember it perfectly. I'm holding the knife, and I'm looking at him. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to get fired. I just, you know, this kid's got a knife. What's wrong with you? And so I kind of like in a stern voice, you have a knife. He's holding his hand. It's bleeding. Mike, I'm bleeding. But you have a knife. Mike, you cut me. I was a little slow. But you have a knife. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we went to the first aid kit and we just got a band-aid and we put it around it, right? No. Very first retreat I led, I had to leave all of my other youth leaders. I had to take this kid with one other youth leader to the emergency room and we had to get him stitched up. We, we had to deal with that wound as deep as it was. We had to go all the way to the core of it and the doctor, he stitched it up. Now, the kid's okay. He's not too traumatized, right? He'll be all right. But I think this is exactly what you and I do when we're done. We get to these moments where we see our great need. We get to these moments where we confront the darkness and the sin that exists inside of us. We get to these moments where we have to confront the fact that we stand before a holy God condemned in our sin, covered in our guilt, and covered in our shame, and our knee-jerk reaction is to band-aid it, to ignore it, and to numb it. I'm not giving you all the answers today. We're going to go on a journey over the next few weeks, but let me beg you. Let me plead with you. If you're here today and you're done, if you're here today and you're tired of, of your sin and you're tired of your behavior and you want desperately to be the man or the woman that God has called you to be, if you want freedom and if you want forgiveness, don't band-aid it. Don't bury it. Don't ignore it. Look at this reality and look at Christ and the gift that he freely gives of salvation. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the gift it is to gather together and to remember how, how wonderful of, of a treasure we have in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for, for my brothers and sisters in this room and online, those who have trusted Christ. I, I pray for those who are in Christ and who are struggling, who, who maybe are trying to bury or numb or ignore whatever it is inside that they're dealing with. Father, I pray that today would be the day where, where they will be willing to admit they're done. And they'll look at you in repentance and they'll find hope in Christ. God, I pray that today would be such an encouragement and such a joy as you restore them and you give them hope. Father, I also pray for anyone here who, who walked into this room or turned on this stream and in the beginning they weren't convinced about Christ. I pray for, for those folks that they also would not bury or band-aid or numb the doneness that they feel, but they would they'd be honest about who they are. 
that they would be honest about their need for the Savior. And I pray that today, those same words that you said over Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. I pray that by faith in the crucified and risen Jesus, today salvation would come to their heart. I pray they truly would believe and in their faith and their new belief that they would sense that you are beginning to work inside of them to heal those places where they're done. I pray that they would be filled with hope, ultimately with joy, and they would know what it looks like to know Christ. And we pray all of this with hearts that desire to honor you fully. In Jesus' name, amen.